Bible, I'd invite you to take it and turn to the book of 1 John that was just read. If you're new to the Bible, you don't know where 1 John is, that is okay. Uh, There are Bibles on the round tables for you. You're welcome to get up right now um, and grab one, uh, and uh, no one will look at you, I promise. And if they do, we will all look at them, okay? (laughs) Uh, and if you're wondering where First John is, there's a, there's a table of contents for you in the, in the front of the Bible, so you can find your, way, find your way to it. Two more announcements just to note is um, my readings in Romans group is not going to meet uh, this Tuesday. Uh, I will be down in L.A. with denominational meetings. And the second thing is um, that uh, Eleanor Linton is uh, now a member of our church. She has transferred in, so she doesn't take vows and stuff like other people because she's already done that. And we're part of a larger church, and she has transferred in and is now a member of our church, so you can welcome her today. And uh, yeah, uh, and, and so that means that she's just going to this class for double duty, right? That's pretty awesome. So I commend her to you. Let me pray for us. God, as we have these moments with your word together that we, where we can gather around it and meditate on it, reflect on what you have to say to us, we pray that you would be present to us, that you would be in our midst as you have promised, that we would hear from you, Christ, proclaiming the good news to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a recent retiree looks back over his life, and as he looks at the ups and downs of his career, he says, when I was up, people were very interested in me. And when I was down, they abandoned me. A person who's late in their career looks back over their home life growing up and they said, I'm not sure that I really knew that my parents were proud of me. A ministry leader surveys the last 10 years of ministry and says to himself, I know that God wants to use me but I'm not sure that he enjoys me. A young seminary student is reflecting over their preparation for ministry. I say, the biggest thing I'm having to get over is coming to terms with the fact that people might actually want to meet with me. A exiting college student looks around at their life and they says, I'm just not sure that my life has any value. The common question that these folks are asking is simply this. Am I loved? Am I really loved? My favorite artist in the world is named Ryan Adams. He 
put out an album 15 years ago called Gold. And if you don't know who Ryan Adams is because you're too young or you're too old, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. Let's just have a moment. Well, he, was, uh, he posted something on Instagram. Uh, if you're too young or too old to know what Instagram is, um, thank the Lord. <laughs> thank the Lord. He posted something on Instagram and, and uh, reflecting on the 15 years since that album and his time when he wrote it and when he put it out. And he said this, it, he concludes his, his thoughts, his reflections like this. He says, and to that kid that made this, that wild, determined, stubborn kid, if I could reach back in time far enough, I would give him the biggest hug he ever had. He wouldn't know how bad he was going to need that. Ryan Adams is saying, as I look back over the last 15 years of my life, and I look back then, I know that I needed to know that I was loved. And I'm not sure I knew that. Today we're beginning a series on the book of 1 John. Why 1 John? 1 John is a peculiar book. It's written uh, anonymously, even though we attribute it to John. Uh, there's no author mentioned in the book. And it's also written to an anonymous audience. We don't know anything about this audience, uh, or very little about it. It's not like Paul's letter to the Romans or Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's not like either of those. It's anonymous, and I think there's good reason for that. It's anonymous because the message that it contains, well, it's for all of us. It's a message that we all need to hear. And what is that message? Well, John's central message, the burden of First John, is simply this. John wants us to know that the God who is before all things that the God who made all things, that the God who rules over all things, that that God wants a relationship with you and with me. He opens his letter like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ." John is saying that God desires to have a relationship with you. And he desires it so much that he pursued you, that he made himself manifest, that he took on flesh, that he became present with us. And he became present in unabashed, unhindered love. He writes in the fourth chapter of the book, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Now, that's an amazing statement. It sounds trite because we're so used to hearing it. God is love. But God is love 
And God loves you. And what 1 John wants us to get is this, that God not only relates to you as a sinner who needs to be saved, and God not only relates to you as a worker who he sends out, but God relates to you as beloved, whom he embraces, whom he delights in, who he longs to be with. And so here's my hope for this series. My hope is that we will come to see that more than God wants to use us, God enjoys us. God delights in us. God loves us. That he wants to be with you, that he wants to make his home with you, that he delights in you, and that he calls us to abide in that love, to experience and to know that love. Because most of us, I don't think, we, we don't abide in that love, not like we could or not like we should. And the question is, why? Why don't we know this love? I mean, we've heard it, but why don't we feel it? Why don't we sense it? Why do we resonate with all those examples that I gave earlier? Well, I think the answer is actually in the last verse of the entire book. The last verse, the last exhortation that God, uh, that God, that God through John gives is this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now that is abrupt. It's actually very abrupt because John hasn't talked about idols this entire book. And it comes from nowhere. And so some scholars, they say, uh, well, maybe this was added later on because it just seems to kind of come out of nowhere. But we don't have any manuscript or textual evidence that this was added later on. So what's going on here? Why this abrupt exhortation to keep yourself from idols? And what does this have to do with John's message? I think everything. Because the burden of John is to get us to see that God wants to commune with us in loving relationship. And you know the thing that keeps us from that? Other lovers. Distractions. Idols. So he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I know what you're thinking to yourself, many of you. You're thinking, okay, that's all fine and good, Kyle, but how is that relevant to us today? I mean, I live in the late modern Western world, and I don't see a lot of people bowing down before statues. So how does this have anything to do with my life? But you need to understand that in the Bible, an idol is not so much an image as an imitation, it's an imitation of the one true God. It's something that imitates his role in your life. An idol is anything that you look to to be and do for you what only God can be and do for you. An idol is the thing that you look to to give you the love and the acceptance and the value that only God can give you. The idol is the thing that you look to to make you feel beloved. When God is the one who is to call you beloved. And it's his love that you should receive first and foremost. And so, 
When we think about idols, we usually think they're bad things, but they're not often bad things because they're replacements for God. They're often good things. And, and, and the more they promise, the, the more we look to them to be our God, to give us meaning and value and success. What are you looking to? What are you looking to to make you feel loved, valuable? What are you looking to to give you satisfaction, fullness? Is it what people say about you? That's what I often look to. What they say and they think about you. So the good word lifts you up and a bad word, will it devastate you? And you're caught on it the rest of the day or maybe into the next one like I was this morning? Or is it the things that you have, what you've acquired, that you think makes your life worthy and valuable? Or is it what you do and what you've accomplished? Well, if you want to know, here's a test. Just ask yourself the question, what are my greatest hopes and dreams? What do I dream about? What do I say if I got that, then life would be meaningful? And because there's still the opportunity to get that, life is still worth living. On the other side, conversely, look at your nightmares. Your nightmares will tell you a lot about your idols. What do you say if that thing were taken away from me? I don't know that I could live. Is it security? Is it comfort? Is it affluence? Is it influence? And, and, and here's a, another question. Because whatever that is, that is your functional Lord. But here's another question. The other question is this. When that happens, when things give you anxiety because you feel like those things are going to be taken away from you, what do you look to to save you? What do you look to to find rescue? Maybe, for some of us, it's the refrigerator at 2 a.m. For others of us, it's the Facebook feed. For others of us, it is the gym. But whatever that is, that's your functional savior. You see, these are our idols. Martin Luther was a German reformer who lived in the 1500s, and he said this, "...a God is that to which we look for all good." And where we resort for help in every time of need. And he said this, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is, your real, that is your real God. What does your heart cling to and confide in? That is your idol. Perhaps for some of you, the thing that gives you anxiety is being average. And so you look to accomplishments and praise and renown and degrees and pedigree. Or maybe it's, you look to your, how you dress differently or whatever, your new, unique experiences. Us, for some of us, maybe it is being poor because we grew up poor and we don't want to go there again. And so the thing that we look to is money for security and comfort. Or maybe it's being ignorant and the things that we look to that we crave is to always be in the know. Well, we look to so many things to satisfy us when the only thing that can satisfy us is God's love. That's John's point. That we, when we aren't satisfied in God's love, that we will look 
other places for satisfaction and to be called beloved. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. When I was alone, then no love in sight, and I did everything that could get me through the night. Whether you know Waylon Jennings' version or Buckwheat's version, the point is the same. That we go around looking for love. But John, he writes to us this amazing and holy truth. That the God of all the world who created all things, who is behind all things and before all things, that the God who is without beginning and without end, that that God wants to have a relationship with you and to draw you into the community of love that has existed forever in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now you say, Kyle, that sounds kind of interesting and it's great for you to sit up there and emote, but... I'm doing pretty good with my career, and it's, it's feeling pretty good. So why would I go to have to God to feel loved rather than my career or my friends or something else? Why would I do that? Why would I want to abide in God's love? Well, in this book, throughout this book, uh, John actually gives us three statements for why he is writing these things, why this, is, this central message is so important to him. He says, I'm proclaiming these things to you. I'm writing these things for a purpose. And he states out three purposes, actually, throughout the book, which were read earlier. And what I want to do is I want to take those in reverse. The first statement where he says, I write these things to you so that, is in 5.13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life because in a relationship with God, there actually is eternal life. Have you ever had a relationship with someone that you're in their presence and you leave their presence and you feel revived, energized? Uh, Someone who you leave their presence and you think, um, I have a new sense of purpose, a new sense of support, I can keep going. Do you know what I'm talking about? I call those relationships life-giving. And I just recently was able to spend um, about 10 days touring, or seven days touring uh, northern Europe with one of my best friends in the whole world. And I got back, and people asked me, how was it? Well, we were in like a different country every day. Uh, because he's a musician, and we had to get to new places. So we spent most of the time in the airports and not a lot of time in the bedroom like sleeping. So we were not at our hotels a lot. We were traveling a lot. And uh, people asked me when I got back, how was it? And I found myself saying this. It was physically exhausting, but it was incredibly restorative relationally. And I feel like I have more energy now than when I left. You know, sometimes some relationships with people, it's better than sleep, you know? Well, if that's how it is with the human relationship, then I would suggest to you that those are simply shadows of the relationship that we can have with God, who is life and who longs to share his life with us. A life uh, that he, he longs to give us his life. And that life does not simply 
go moment by moment or month to month, but it will take us through death and into eternity. And John says, I am writing this that you might abide in God's love and relationship with him so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you will never dry out, that you will never burn up. That's the first reason he writes. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that's so different than the idols that we live in. Because the idols, they promise big, they promise to give us life, but they actually end up killing us. Because we work and we work and we work and we work and we're exhausted and we don't have any friends and we don't have any life and we don't have any community. And at the end of the day, they said, you die for me that I would live. But the triune God of the Bible, that's the only God who says, I will die for you that you might live. And he did. So first reason is for eternal life. The second reason we want to abide in God's love is found in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. John is writing because he says that abiding in a loving relationship with God, that it will actually take away sin. Now, I realize that if you have an understanding of sin, and you, and you hear me say that, you think, Sin is transgressing some traditional moral value. And I don't have traditional moral values. I actually don't believe in traditional moral values. So that doesn't sound all that appealing. But you have to understand in the Bible, sin is not just transgressing a traditional moral value. Transgression is breaking a law, which you might say is a traditional moral value. But sin is bigger than that. In the Bible, sin is actually missing the mark. Missing the mark of who you were supposed to be, of who you were intended to be, of your potential. Sin is not living up to your full self. And I think we can all relate to that. Because most of our lives, whether it be in school or education, whether it be in exercise, whether it be whatever we're doing, we are wanting to actually be more of who we can be. We want to be the best us that we can be. That's what John is talking about, that a relationship with God, that it actually causes you to be the best you that you can be, that it takes away sin in those ways in which you, li- you fall short of that. And we all know ways in which we fall short of that. It's what causes shame and guilt. And we all feel those things. When we do things and we say, I can't believe that I'm like that. Or I can't believe that I did that. It's like those outer body experiences where you hover over yourself and you're like, I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe I'm thinking like that. I, can't, I know you don't have these things, just me. But I'm going to invite you into my world. We all want to be rid of sin. We all want to be the best us that we can be. I do premarital counseling, and I always ask couples, why are you getting married to this person? And most of them say something like this, I want to marry Sally. There's no Sallys here, I hope. I'm not talking about you, Sally. I don't know. Um, I want to marry Sally because I'm a better person with Sally. 
I'm a better me with Sally. This relationship actually propels me forward to be better. Well, a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, it propels us forward to be better. Because God, his love is not content to leave us where he finds us, but he actually wants to change us. Most of us, we love someone and we say, okay, I'm not going to actually, you know, we'll just let them be. We call them um, foibles. What we mean is sin that we just put up with. Most of the time, because we don't know how to enter into it. But God, he is so tender and he is so loving and he knows how in his tender love to move toward us in relationship and change us and propel us forward. So let me ask you, do you, do you want to be rid more and more of the things that you do, the habits and addictions and proclivities and thoughts that damage yourself and damage your relationship with others? Do you, does anybody here want to be rid of those things? Do you want to be rid of the addictions that cause you to not live to your fullest potential? Do you want to be rid of the habits and the slip-ups and the ways you can't hold your tongue and the ways you can't keep commitments that damage relationships? Do you want to be rid of those things? John says that the more and more we are drawn into relationship with God, the more and more we are drawn away from sin. That this relationship liberates us from the compulsion to believe and to behave and to love into ways that fall short of God's glorious purpose for our lives. So that's the second thing, which brings us to the third thing, if you really take that on. John is saying that in relationship with God, we can know that we can live forever with him and we can live forever with him and we will grow more and more and more and more to what he always intended us to be. And you know what that brings? Joy. Which is the first purpose statement God, uh, John gives in one, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 4. He says, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, don't be confused. When John says, our joy, he doesn't mean simply the writers. This is a rhetorical strategy that he uses throughout the book where he talks about we and us and you, but throughout he goes back and forth between we and us because he's trying to envelop the you into the us. We want to share our joy with you. We want your, our joy to be your joy, and we want you to be united with us in that joy. God came to give joy. And idols, they steal our joy. Because they promise big, but they never fulfill. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's all about joy. The first announcement of the angels was, I tell you good news of great joy. And Jesus, he, he says that asking you will receive that your joy may be that is in prayer and communion with God, you have fullness of joy. Jesus said, I've told you these things. I've given you the word of God so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus, he wants to be our joy supply. And, and when 
Isaiah talks about the mission of Jesus and what he came to do. Isaiah says this, Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Gladness and joy will overtake them. I love that image. I was in Philadelphia this last week in a conference with some, some pastors. And you need to know when pastors get together, it's not simply getting together with their colleagues. This is getting together with your deepest friends, with folks who you confide in, with folks who you are the closest to. And one night after the conference, we were at dinner out at a place outside, and there was one table full of ministers, and those ministers, um, they knew each other really well, and they loved each other really well. And I was down a couple tables at another table, and one of the ministers from that first table, his name is Vito, he ministers in Brooklyn, Vito got up and he came over to our table and we were talking and we were basically introducing ourselves, we were acquainting ourselves, so he left his really good friends and he comes down with us and we're kind of talking and saying, well, I'm from Santa Barbara, this is what I do, or I'm from Michigan or wherever it is, and we're kind of talking and then all of a sudden we hear this laughter that erupts two tables over the table that Vito just came from. And we look over there, and at first it was a chuckle. And then their shoulders start to shake. And then they are just going heaving back and forth, and they can't talk, and they can't catch their breath. And it is just, well, they were overtaken with joy. At which point Vito says, I guess I chose the wrong table which I didn't take offense at that. I I totally got it because who doesn't want to be in the midst of that, in the midst of deep relationship where through that deep relationship and through sharing life and love together, you were overtaken with joy. I mean, I want that. When you laugh like that, you don't have to exercise anymore. Like your abs are sore the next day. I... So, so then you knock out two things at once because you become the best you you can be. This is not in the manuscript, Kyle. Get back on script. But in all seriousness, like, the relationship that God intends to have with us and share with us, this relationship of love, he does it so that he might bring joy into our lives. And so let me just close by asking this. Do you want to know that you have eternal life? Do you want to know that you know that you know that you have eternal life and that life will be unending? Do you want to more and more be rid of sin? Those things about yourself that cause guilt and shame, do you want that? Do you want to learn more and more what it means to be human? Do you want joy? Do you want to know joy so much that you were overtaken with it? Do you want to know a kind of joy that is a joy unceasing, that is a joy that cannot be conquered by any circumstances, but it is something that conquers your circumstances? Do you want that? Do you want to know that you are beloved? And that God, He does not look at you simply as someone he can use or someone he can forgive. 
but someone he longs to embrace and someone he delights in and rejoices over with singing. Do you want that? Then come with me. Come with us on this journey. Meditate on this message so that at the end we might be a little more confident. We might be able to say a little bit more with a little bit more conviction. His banner over me is love. And it's always been love. And we might abide in that love. God, I do pray that you would come to us in your great love. That you would woo our hearts away from all the other places that we look that cause us to doubt your love. And that we might dwell, abide, make our home in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.